Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, June 11, 2023. Hello, I'm Alex Goff, campus pastor of the Papa Creek Campus. Hi, I'm Brennan Dyer. I'm the pastoral intern this summer. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor at Glen Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Hello, everybody. What? what? What an eclectic morning. We've already discussed pickleball, Footloose, <laughs> Aquafina. and Aquafina. The actress. Both the actress and the, the purified water. water. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to come up in, in this next section, but it's going to be good. How are y'all doing? If you had to name yourself off of a drink, which drink would you choose? Oh, my. Ooh. <sighs> Espresso. <laughs> Because you like to express yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think hmm. of... Ooh, I know what mine is. Yeah, go for it. El Corazón. Ooh. Yes. The heart? It's this, it's this fancy schmancy drink <laughs> at a place called Nacional 27 in Chicago. And yeah. it is like a passion fruit tequila, like uh, this thing. And it's like 20 bucks or whatever. Oh, my God. But it's like the best drink I've ever had. Is El Corazon. I'm currently changing El your Corazon. contact in my phone. <laughs> I think I'd go with Tang. Tang? Oh tang. Tang. I'm surprised at your age you know what Tang is. Yeah. Do they yeah. still do Tang? I don't, I don't is know. Is Tang still a thing? I had it as a kid. You had Tang? Yeah. Okay. So it clearly lasted 30, 40 years. Yeah. But not, no more, right? I don't see right. Tang anymore. Brendan, you do you know Tang? tang? I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tang. So, I'm 22. so Tang was, is uh, like a powdered substance. You pour water in it and it becomes orange juice. And then they it's started... It's juice. It's like a... No, it's a flavored water. Yeah. So, so there's a line somewhere between Brendan and I when Tang stopped. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm learning so much. <laughs> Originated in 1957. Wow. Pow- uh, marketed as a powder drink in 59. I didn't know it was that old. Wow. What the? And it had something to do with NASA, the space program in 62. Oh, wow. That's okay. like, what that the astronauts sense. were drinking. That makes sense. No, it makes no sense because there is like zero nutritional value in tank. Well, but I just mean like, you know, <laughs> right. they're experimenting with right. all of these foods to Dried take to foods. space. Right. So this is different than like emergency? Like, it's on. The, oh, yeah, it's different than emergency. Actually, emergency, emergency might taste better. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're right. Uh, How about you, Brennan? I got to go classic old-fashioned. I think that's a great name. Old-fashioned? Yeah, I love old-fashioned. My favorite drink. Okay. All right. It's good. How was uh, Sundays? How was Sunday at Poplar? It was really great. Um, I love opportunities to incorporate other GEBC staff onto the stage. And on Sunday, we had Brittany Steele come up and talk about the care center. And that went really well. Uh, and there was kind of a clear direction that we pointed our congregation to. We're trying to get people to volunteer for the care center in a couple of weeks on Wednesday. So it was a, it was a great Sunday. Good, good. She did an awesome job. Awesome. So Alex and I both uh, used, the, we questioned uh, the congregation trying to draw them in. What's the litmus test for worship or for true religious uh, activity posture? Alex went all out. And if you haven't, 
If you haven't seen the Poplar Creek sermon, you ought to go to YouTube, Poplar Creek Church, June 11 sermon. And man, he had three beakers up there with real litmus paper, and you had to guess which one was drinkable. One of the solutions was hydrochloric acid. Yeah, so I didn't mention that I from the platform <laughs> on purpose because I didn't want to freak people out. The other one was sodium hydroxide. <laughs> I, I ordered it before I thought about it, and I realized that there was a lot of steps to having chemicals on the platform, uh, including disposal. <laughs> I had to drive to Naperville yesterday to their, uh, like, to the disposal, tox- toxic, toxic waste yeah. removal. You didn't yeah. just pour it out back place. in the pond? No, because if you pour it on the ground, <laughs> nothing stops growing there. And if yeah. you pour it down your pipes, it'll just, like, destroy it on the way yeah. down. Yep. So, wow. That place is fascinating. Though. It really People is. People come out in hazmats. And <laughs> it's cool. Really? Oh, yeah. It's in Naperville, and you mm-hmm. just drive up, and you give them your hazard. You open up your trunk, and then they remove all your hazardous uh, materials in hazmat suits. Yeah. No, I don't know if that was a COVID thing or not. Do they still do hazmat suits? Mm-mm. Okay. I didn't see any. Maybe that was a COVID thing. Um, so yeah, that was popular. <laughs> it was fun. It was a good time. I thought the mark of being a true Christian was how many uh, VeggieTales songs you could sing from beginning to end. Oh, gosh. No? Okay. Or if you go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> or work there. Um, so... Yeah, service went well. Poplar service went well here. I was going to say, how did it go? Man. It was good. It was fun. People sang loud. There were still... Yeah. Uh, I think we both sense there's still people hurting in our congregation. Still people... Well, the um, the memorial service uh, for, for Hudson Singley was Saturday. So, I mean, that was just a day after. Right. Hudson um, was a five-year-old boy that passed away uh, nine, ten days ago now. And, um, yeah... Well, Deeply yep. connected to our community. Yep. A lot of folks uh, were at this memorial service at College Church on Saturday. There was a lot of GBC families there. And so, um, yeah, I, I actually got a really, um, I, got, I got a good email uh, yesterday after service. Just like, man, that was really comforting. The mm. worship set was comforting. Mm-hmm. Kelly had some good words about how he was built up at the memorial service just from the singing um, I thought that was an excellent example. I felt the same way. Yeah. Um, I, it was a faith strengthener. I was going to ask me. what the temperature of the room was. Was it? I mean, it was heavy. sober, sober, <laughs> and yeah. sober. Yeah. Um, but the father, but not hopeless. I was not expecting the father gave the eulogy. Wow. And I was not expecting anything near that. Um, and you know, to be just transparent here, like over the last 10, 11 days, however long it's been, I've been asking myself, like, what if, you know, like, would I bounce back? I hope so. I think so. Would I lead worship again? Like, I, I'm, I'm asking just real raw questions and talking with God about, like, yeah. how would that go? And watching uh, his father up there giving a eulogy and at the end, finishing it off with how that God is good. Mm-hmm. It was like powerful. I had this moment where I where I said to myself, "If he can do it, maybe I can do it too." Mm-hmm. And it just built up my strength, my the, my faith. And then, of course, we sang, and it was in Christ alone. Yeah. And I think yeah. about the people at the service that. Oh, I loved. Uh, sorry. No, go ahead. I loved uh, uh, mighty. Uh, our God is a mighty fortress. Mighty fortress is our God. That one, that, yeah, it was tongue tied there. A mighty yeah, fortress is our God. I think about the people at the service that uh, maybe haven't heard the gospel before. Mm-hmm. In that moment, um, the hope and 
And just the people, the number of people that are discouraged or wondering. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, this first question. Yeah, you want to it set this some, up? Yeah, it needs some kind. <laughs> so one bit. of my biggest application points yesterday was I, I just talked about going through the motions. The Israelites in Isaiah 58 have been going through the motions. They've been fasting with a demanding posture, thinking if I do X, then God must do Y, whatever Y would be in our prayer requests. And so I talked about going through the motion of attending church um, and, um, and then and not really connecting with anybody, bolting right after the church. And then the secondly, I said, you may be going through the motions on Sunday morning if uh, you're coming to worship and not singing. You're just, mm-hmm. you're present and kind of unaccounted for. And once that door is open, it stays open for a while with yeah, Kelly. I know. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. There is a... And not just because I'm the worship pastor. I need to go dig up the... I have this whole um, shtick on the role that singing and instrumentation plays in warfare. Yep. And so historically, all armies were led into battle by a drum corps, yep. and, and they had their own songs. Yep. There is a unifying element just among humanity. Yes. And uh, it's in, that, in that application, it's both practical and spiritual. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's practical because it, move, it moves the army right, in the most march. efficient way, but yeah. it also unifies them in their hearts. There's a great story, and I wish I, I need to go dig it up. It's about um, Navy SEAL training and how they try during Hell Week to get uh, the Navy SEAL recruits to drop out uh, through hazing. And they basically go without sleep, and, and they do drills for a week straight. Mm-hmm. And um, one class in particular, a man from the class was telling the story about the, they were all about to drop out. They're about to ring the bell in Navy SEAL Hell Week when they started singing together. And oh, what wow. the sergeant did not want them to do was sing. Don't yeah. sing because it's way too unifying. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. So anyway, so I, I did my whole passion point around singing and how yeah. our children need to hear us sing with conviction. Yeah. There's nothing worse, let's be honest, than listless singing. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you know. <laughs> yeah. And, or what yeah. So and for churches of, of our kind, like it you, can happen. You see it, it can right? happen. It can right? happen. So and, and then, so when I went to the funeral today for a five year old man, I needed to hear the congregation sing. It's time it's go time. I mean, we're in a battle. We're yeah. experiencing a loss that God never intended for us to experience. Yeah. The, the death of a child. Yeah. And so I wanted to hear the congregation stand together. Let's sing. Um, so, and that's such a deeper understanding of worship than I think what sometimes people think when they walk into a church that it's it's kind of like karaoke where we just get together and we sing songs that we all know. But that understanding of unifying and rallying around the words that we sing it's so much deeper than. What some people think. Yeah, so, and I had talked a little bit, giving kind of a theological underpinning for the value of singing. We do not sing to placate the, the musicians and the, the artists among us who just like song. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sing first and foremost because God sings, Zephaniah 317. He sings over his people. Can you, can you yeah. see the creator singing? Yeah. So when we sing, we're, we're imaging him more fully. Yeah. Uh, secondly, we sing because we're told to do so. God sings, we're told to sing. Jesus sang after the last supper. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's true. As they walked to the garden of Gethsemane, he they probably led. I mean, I would imagine he led. Yeah. It was a call and response. That's nice. Yeah. And then, uh, we sing because as, as Matt 
it's pragmatic to sing. We just need it. We're, we're, the reason we're told to sing is, is because it helps us. Anyway, the first, the first question is, quote, would it be okay to dance on Sunday morning? Awesome. Yeah. We've had this question a long... Really? I, I'm having, a, a, unless it's a false sense of deja vu here, yeah. maybe like four, four years ago, three or four years ago. Um, is it okay to dance when I, you know, when this question's asked, I always have my, um, these flashbacks to the late 80s, early 90s, when everybody was having the dancers in worship. Did yeah. y'all grow up in a church where dancers no. would, yeah. I'm pretty sure God's sovereign hand kept me from that, because <laughs> that probably would have been the quickest way for me to leave church. Uh, it was, it's not something that I enjoy, um, you know, choreographed dance during worship. I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just... Um, we're not commanded. Well, that's not uh, Psalm one forty nine three says, "Dance before the Lord." So, in in David, dance before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we're certainly dancing. Yes, you can dance at Glow and Bible Church. And I, the minute I say you can dance, I want to give a caveat. I want to give a, a directive. I want to give some boundaries yeah. <laughs> because uh, dancing. You know, to Matt's point, it can be a deterrent in a way that loud singing is not, or us, the singing together as a community is not. Yep. Dancing can, can quickly get culturally strange in a way that singing can't and can alienate seekers. Uh, so my caveat here is let's remember that just because we can dance doesn't mean that we can dance when and however we want. In other words, it's not actually about dancing and it's not actually about singing. It's actually about connecting with and caring for one another. And so um, anytime the expression of our connection to and care for one another becomes a distraction, and dancing for me can quickly become a distraction, then it's not, it's not desirable. So yes, you can dance. If you I, want to. <laughs> you can leave your friends behind. If you don't dance. <laughs> oh, who sang that? Oh gosh! I have yeah, no, no clue. you can dance if you want to. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yes, it, right? Totally. Yes, it is. It's it's I couldn't couldn't turn it off. <laughs> so, but you just can't you can't be a distraction. And and you, the congregation should know we work hard at limiting distractions. So I'll give you some examples. We we don't have a dress code at Glow and Bible Church for platform leadership, but we we do give directions on how people are to dress for platform leadership. And the reason is because it's three feet off the ground. And so your knees are at eye level. And so there's a lot of uh, clothing that when you're three feet off the ground and everybody's staring at you, it doesn't work well. And so we need to be aware of that. Um, hymn lines and yeah. um, the relative tightness of our clothing, the colors. It's, it's not a show. Yeah. That's a, um, I love that you, you brought up not being a distraction. That's how, that's how I frame um, probably the biggest, the largest part of my philosophy of ministry to people that ask, the people that are joining the ministry and they want to, or if I'm meeting with other worship pastors or whatever, like, Pretty much, our, our, one of our main goals is to not distract, and here's why. Um, the worship leader doesn't make God more present in the room. God is just as present when everybody walks in as he is in the end, as he is in the middle, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But, but the power that we do have as leaders 
is we have the ability to uh, clean off or make more foggy people's lenses that they're using hmm. to experience God with. And so, um, so if I'm doing something on the platform that is really distracting, uh, what I'm doing, metaphorically speaking, is fogging your lens and giving a road, putting a roadblock uh, between your experience with God. Now, if God has something for you that day, it doesn't matter what I'm going to do. He's going to get to you. Mm -hmm. But by and large, we can be a distraction and pull your gaze away from Christ. And so, so that's why we do things like we try to hit our notes. Mm -hmm. We try to play in time and in tune. This is why Kelly doesn't lead worship. <laughs> um, you know, we, we try to do those things to not be a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one of the main thrusts yeah. of... You can also apply the same language to preaching of fogginess and clarity. Like it's, it's our role to make the gospel as clear as possible. God can communicate what he wants to communicate, but it's our role. Clarity is better than yeah. confusion. Could I talk about my experience with worship just yes. a little bit? Yeah. So like I, growing up, I remember in high school, uh, youth group, I would, I'd see people raise their hands and I was always nervous to do it. Uh, partially cause I just didn't, that's exactly right. Kelly, Kelly just put his hands up. Um, so, uh, I was always nervous to do it because I didn't want the attention to be on me. And that was the tension. It's like, well, if I put my hands up, then people are going to be focused on me and not the words that we were singing. And I came across this article this week after this question, um, by Chris, Christopher Asmus. And I loved the way that he phrased it. Um, he first kind of drew out the different worship styles that we see in scripture, people falling on their face, people raising their hands, bowing down, and even dancing, as, as Kelly pointed out. And Christopher's point throughout the entire article, when you look at these different worship styles, is that our posture and um, our physical expressions in worship um, are not distracting from God's glory. They're displaying it. Those were the words that he used. It's not distracting. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... Uh, the illustration that he uses, like when a president is getting off of an airplane and the servicemen are saluting, you wouldn't look at the servicemen and saying, you guys are being distracting. Mm. You would say that you are... Uh, appropriate expression. It's an appropriate expression yep. of the authority of the person walking down the stairs. And so the idea that Christopher brought out is that we're not supposed to look to them, but through them to see Christ who is who is supreme. And so that kind of helped me that... Um, kind of come out of my shell a little bit and, and worship authentically. Uh, but the challenge that I would give, and Kelly, you kind of hit on this a little bit with dancing on a Sunday morning, uh, you have to know your heart. And if your heart is, um, you know, I'm doing this to just authentically worship and praise uh, my Heavenly Father, that's great. But if you're doing it to get attention, I think of Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Um, I think that can be kind of a cautionary verse for this dancing question. Yeah. Brendan, I'm interested to hear what the, uh, the young voice, young you, perspective yeah. is. And, um, are you a dancer? I'm not right, the dancer. <laughs> He's Presbyterian. Yeah. I'm not the biggest dancer. <laughs> yeah. The Presbyterian church that I went to this past uh, school year was an Orthodox Presbyterian and they do not move very much at all. So, when it comes to dancing, I am totally for it. I think it's really like one of the girls um, at Wheaton. She had like flags and she would run around. And Banners, she was, yeah. yeah. She thought that was so like I thought that was so cool. She just said she doesn't like doesn't want to be a distraction, so she do it in the back. But she was dancing, she was loving it. Mm-hmm. So she let me get this right. She brought her own banners to college. Yeah, 
Wow. Really cool. And she had extra. She goes, and she got on the platform and said, if you want to dance with me, I have extra ones if you want to join. That's great. And awesome. They were, and then by the end of the school year, there were people like running all around the um, Edmund Chapel. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Where, you know, uh, the suburban culture um, is pretty reserved when it comes to expression. I think it would help us to, uh, to break out a little bit. Um, Someone came up to me after uh, service and said that they were trying some new evangelism uh, opportunities. We we gather at the courthouse and um, pray with folks that are going into the courthouse. Courthouse can be a, a really stressful experience for people. And so um, we have, there's a contingent from Glowing Bible Church that does what is called courtside ministries. And uh, for this uh, person, uh, she's giving it a try because it's getting out of her comfort zone. She feels called to do it. It's a, And I, I think the same can be true when we're singing. Mm-hmm. We get a fairly routinized and um, stuck, and it's it's. We could try some different things. Sing a little louder. Raise your hands. Uh, it's okay to feel and express emotion. In fact, it's desirable that that we'd be emotive in worship. And yeah. I think of what Vanderbilt's doing this summer, visiting different churches. There's a lot of of value in going and seeing the way that other congregations and denominations worship. Yeah. yeah. Um, Traveling abroad, if you haven't had a chance to travel abroad and worship with other communities, man, is what a blessing that is. So uh, you'll get a feel really quick for how um, our expression is very contextualized. It's very suburban. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a last word on it. We move the next one. But I was kind of feeling this question pop up maybe in some listeners' minds like, well, why don't we? do more why don't we dance like uh, on the platform or why don't we do more drama or why don't we do more like more expressions of art um and i can give you an artist's opinion of that um when there are some forms of art that are they're they're harder to pull off unless they're done they just have, they, they have a higher degree of, okay, this needs to be executed really highly mm. in order to be effective. Um, music is, it's more participatory, so it's not, it, it doesn't fall in, in those lines as much, mm-hmm. but like dancing, wow. If dancing, no one wants to watch me dance. We all understand dance, this, right? But if dancing is done, so we had uh, at at my former church at park in the city, we had the Joffrey Ballet come, mm-hmm. and they there was a, a few that were you know faith filled, and they came and they danced, and they were from Joffrey, and people no. were crying because no. it was that beautiful. Literally, people men were crying because it was that beautiful. It just was. It's not asking the congregation to dance. It's no, no, no. This was people. a, yeah. Because we get, I get this question from time to time. Why don't we do more dramas? Why don't we do more? And drama falls in the same category for, this is my opinion as an artist. When I see a, a live drama done really well, it's moving. When it's done kind of okay, it's like, okay. It can be distracting. It's, just, well, it's not distracting. It's just, it's not as compelling and powerful, mm-hmm. I will say. That's Poplar's history. A lot of, you look back at Poplar Creek, um, drama was a huge part of the initial church growth. And so a lot of the people within the church now came to the faith because of drama Mm -hmm. and things. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, kind of cool. 
Hello, Glen Ellen Bible Church. We would love for you to join us on July 2nd at 1230 p.m. at the Poplar Creek Campus. We are gathering together after the service to march in the local Bartlett Parade. This is a great opportunity as a church to love the community of Bartlett and introduce them to our church. And so on July 2nd, uh, if you're not doing anything that day, we would love for you to join us 1230 at the Poplar Campus. Um, Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, how does GEBC select its ministry partners like Naomi's House and IJM? What does the church's relationship look like with its ministry partners throughout the year? So setting the context for this question, um, we there's that whole section in Isaiah 58 talking about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. And as I was studying the text this week, w- one of the thoughts that popped in my mind was that our, our campus, Poplar Creek, may not be as aware of some of the ministry partners that Glen Ellen has, um, they are now our ministry partners now that we are one church in multiple locations. And so we spent part of the service uh, pulling out those pieces of Isaiah 58, you know, feeding the hungry. What are the ministry partners that Glen Ellen supports that feed the hungry? Um, you know, setting the oppressed free. What are some ministry partners that we work with that set the oppressed free? And so we talked about uh, IJM, we talked about Naomi's house, we talked about Renew, and we talked about um, the care center. And so uh, I, I, I wrote this question down because I think it, it might be good for our people to hear at Poplar, but even just the whole church, you know, how does Glen Ellen select its ministry partners? Yeah, in 2003, um, we had virtually no money uh, or people that were deployed externally. Hmm. And so we did an assessment of, gosh, why are we simply spending money on ourselves, we need to, in regards to Isaiah 58, we need to have others in mind. Mm-hmm. And we need to be reaching out. And so there have been several false starts in, you know, in that process. You know, it's, it's been a good 20-year learning curve. Um, and we've had some people come alongside us and coach us in that. Outreach Community Ministries, a local ministry that many will be familiar with, came alongside us at many different stages, helping us learn how to demonstrate compassion and care for others and share our resources. So a couple uh, principles have uh, arisen. First, we look for partners both locally and globally. Mm-hmm. So it's not just locally, it's not just globally, it, it's a both and, because we're citizens of an ever-expanding kingdom and God loves the world. And so we need to be careful that we not simply invest locally or not simply invest globally. Jerusalem and the ends of the yeah, earth. Good. Yeah, good. Second, we look for partners that demonstrate an area of expertise, and it's often an area of expertise that we can't pull off on our own. And so take mm-hmm. caring networks, for example. Um, uh, caring networks provide support for moms and dads who are facing unplanned pregnancies, and that caring effort often includes medical exams. And so the church, we're not geared up at that level to provide that level of expertise, sonograms and ultrasounds, that type of thing. So we partner with them. And and we also look for partners, not only that provide expertise, but are good theological maps, uh, matches. So evangelical organizations are most ideal. Uh, It's not that we'll never partner. For example, we have a partnership with the food pantry to some degree, to provide food for our care center. Well, the food pantry is of DuPage County. It doesn't have a particular religious affirmation. They're doing good. They're highly moral. But, um, but th- so we want to make sure that we're partnering with, so Naomi's House, uh, IJM, both evangelical, 
Outreach Community Ministries, Evangelical. In other words, uh, by the hand in the city of Chicago, they're, they're offering their compassion, their resources in the name of Christ. For a long time, we had a partnership with a local ministry that is doing excellent work to provide for the homeless, PADS, uh, Public Action to Deliver Shelter, PADS, but we couldn't share the gospel. They actually prohibited us from sharing the gospel. And so, although they're doing great, highly moral and needed work, it was hamstringing us in the fullest expression of our love. Yeah. We could, we want to do that. So, uh, local, global, uh, they need to have an expertise that, that we can't, uh, we don't have as a church. They need to be a good theological ma- match, but then also we want to not simply send money. Uh, we want. Uh, we actually want to send our people. We want to invest our money and our people resources, our time and our energy, uh, because we we're called according to Ephesians four to equip the saints for works of service. So we want to deploy people locally and globally in the name of Christ. So globally, that would look like a mission trip. Locally, that's yeah. like volunteering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I'll be honest with you. IJM is a terrific organization. It's a terrific organization, but the level of expertise required to be involved with IGM yeah. as a person, you have to be a lawyer or a social worker, and you have to have boots on the ground for an extended period, for months. And it's just, so right now, we've actually reduced some of our money to them uh, in, uh, and shifted it towards Naomi's house because Naomi's house is a, is a justice ministry locally that we can both send our money to and our people. Yep. Easier entry ramp. Yeah. Yep. Good. Um, that kind of segs us into the next question. Uh, third one, lots of non-Christians feed the hungry and clothe the naked and provide shelter for the homeless. What are we to make of this? And that was a Glen Ellen question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it often comes up, and I, I feel like it can be confusing when, uh, Paul, as Paul, I'm going to use Paul's phrase, when those without the law do the things commanded by the law. It's Romans chapter 2. It can be confusing to us, particularly when the people of the world, let's take pads. It's, it's not a faith-based organization. It's, a, it's an organization that sees a need and is filling it in our county. And so they're delivering shelter, great cause. Uh, it can be confusing to us when the, those without faith are acting more moral than those with faith. And we need to be honest about that. That happens. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans 2 that they're doing instinctively what the law requires, and thus they're proving that the law is good that God's command to care for the oppressed and the, the impoverished, that's a good thing. And they're doing it instinctively. This does not mean, however, that they're saved. We, we're not saved by good works. It means only that they're, they're doing what the law requires because their conscience hasn't been completely seared. And so mm-hmm. we should yeah. praise God for those examples in our community. I don't know what's underneath this question, but sometimes when I have this conversation with people, it's, um, especially like evangelism conversations, it's, well, I'm a good person. You know, I may, I may not go to church, but I, I feed the hungry and I, I clothe the naked. And, and the problem with that, it, it, Kelly, as you said, is, is this idea of being saved. 
that every single one of us, um, as David says in Psalm 51, every single person in this world was brought forth in iniquity. Uh, our, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64. Every single one of us has this, this sin nature. And so, you know, from a human level, we may look at something and say, oh, you know, I'm a good person. I feed the hungry. But we can't separate that good deed on its own from a life that is just fundamentally uh, opposed to who God is. And if God is the, the source of goodness, then we're incapable of doing anything good because our nature is in rebellion to him. And so that's why God had to take the initiative to save. Um, good deeds are considered good by God when we're in Christ. And so um, this, I, I don't know if that was the direction that this person asking the question was going, but sometimes when I have the conversation with people, they think that because I do these things, I'm good, and the Bible actually tells us something different. Yeah. It's interesting. Hebrews 11 also says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so I think that's even, right. Yeah, yep. even yeah, even without faith, like a good work isn't. It's a work of the flesh. Yeah, and so we we have to please God. The Holy Spirit allows us to do that, and we can't do it our, on our own. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, we sh- we can and should praise God for the good works, the morality that's in the broader world. And so what I hear you guys saying is, but we should not confuse that with saving faith. And we shouldn't confuse it um, with the, the faith in Christ that brings salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that enough good works accumulated over a lifetime will demonstrate righteousness that merits salvation. It won't. And I like to compare uh, the righteousness required for salvation um, to jumping. And I've given this example before, so if you've heard it before, bear with me. If the righteousness required for salvation were uh, a jumping contest, well then Michael Jordan, in his heyday, Mm -hmm. would be one of the most righteous people on the planet. This is a metaphor, it's an analogy. The problem is, and, and Michael would far outperform me, his righteousness would be much greater than mine. Mm-hmm. The problem is the distance required to be covered isn't the 10-foot distance between the hardwood on a basketball court and the rim of a basketball goal. The distance that need to reco- needs to be covered for salvation is from the earth to the moon. Yeah. Michael Jordan would, would no need shot. to... Yeah, he'd need to jump from the earth to the moon to merit salvation. And no one, there's none righteous among you. No one, Scripture says. Another direction you could also take this is looking through the stories in the Bible of God using um, imperfect kings, imperfect leaders for his purposes. You know, so even um, deeds that are done by somebody that maybe is uh, a non-Christian, God can still use for his glory. So Mother Teresa, arguably one of the most impressive moral examples mm-hmm. of, of our century, um, didn't have enough righteous works to merit salvation. Um, and it's only her faith in Christ that would, would, be, would, win, would receive salvation. And so we're, we're pressing people to trust only in the righteousness of Christ. He's the only one that could jump from the earth to the moon. He's the only one that could clear the moral bar. He, his moral perfection, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection are what wins us salvation. We're trusting in another man, not ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right, let's go to the next one. 
It's so hard not to relate to God as someone who holds all the blessings. I find myself bargaining with God all the time, promising him certain behaviors in exchange for blessings. How do I break this habit? Yeah, I would discourage bargaining with God. It's, um, it's a, I would encourage a shift to a dialogue with God about the changes you long for in your life. Yeah. God, it, it's it, encouraging. This question is encouraging yeah. that this person is like, I need to not be doing this. How do I not do this? Right. I mean, that's what the Israelites, that's awesome. Israelites were saying, Isaiah 58, three, you we're fasting. Don't you see it? Don't you see what we're doing? We've humbled ourselves in, in they're pointing this out to God because they're expecting God on their basis of their, their acts to care for them. So it's this, uh, symbiotic relationship, which was at its core idolatrous. They were treating God as an idol. I'm going to do what you want, and then you are on the hook to do what I want. But that's, that's not, that type of bargaining experience, is, that's idolatry. Yep. Hmm. And so God is inviting us into a dialogue with him. It's much more, it's much more relational. It's, it's Heavenly Father, I am so sorry about this sin that I, I'm constantly committing. I want to be done with it. Would your spirit work in me? I know it grieves you. I can't, right? The first, the first rule of 12-step programs is to recognize your powerlessness. And that's a brilliant, beautiful rule. Yeah. I can't bring this change. Your spirit must bring this change yeah. in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's saying, God, if you could just give me this thing that I've been desiring, and it could be a good thing. Yeah. Right? It could be that, you know, I don't know, kids have a long life or that... My kids follow Jesus. Follow Je- yeah. <laughs> but like, if you if you give me this thing, I promise I'll change the, that thing about me that needs to change. Or even look how I'm changing, God. And you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And right. I had a. It's right. very common in, for parents to struggle in this way. Father, I'm trying so hard to please you, but my kids are off the reservation. Well, don't you don't you care for me? I'm faithful. I'm trying to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Why are my kids? Hmm. Are you are you chasing after my kids? And instead, uh, that reveals a bargaining posture yep. in us. And, and instead, have a dialogue, Father. Um, it just do you care for my kids? How are you caring for my kids? Please continue to care for my kids. I'd like to see your care. Encourage me. I'll never forget. This is. I was on the way to a conference with a good friend of mine. And it was, um, it was just he and I going, and it was up in Minnesota, and we were driving in the car. Uh, days preceding the conference, um, in my prayer life, I had, uh, was dialoguing with God about my children and um, my concerns. That's, that's what parents do, right? Presenting their concerns, and in some cases, our concerns for our kids. And, and on one particular issue, I was, I was seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, I, could you comfort me here? I'm, I'm afraid of these outcomes for my children. Um, and I don't want to be too detailed. It's their life, not my life, but it'd be inappropriate. So I'm, I'm trying to be appropriately vague. And so I was pleading with God for comfort and, and just talking to him about how I need comfort. I wasn't bargaining. I was trying to be transparent with, about my fears and my worries and asking God for, I mean, he's the God of all comfort. And at that conference, I'll never forget, um, a man walked up to me, tapped me on the shoulder I didn't know the guy. I hadn't noticed the guy uh, before. Um, and it was during the conference, it was in a season of prayer. And he goes, hey, you don't know me. This is going to be really weird. 
the Lord has told me to tell you that he sees this issue with your child that you're seeking him on. And don't ever forget, he has this child. He's caring for this child. And the guy goes, does this resonate with you? <laughs> I said, <laughs> without freaking out, I said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, thank you. Mm. And I praise God for your obedience because how risky is it to cross a room and say that to a complete stranger? And it's yeah. so specific. That's what's, yeah. yeah. And I, I saw the guy later in the day during a break at the conference and uh, he, was an, <laughs> he was an engineer by trade. He wasn't a super spiritual guy. He was an engineer by trade. And that sounds, he wasn't, what I'm trying to say, he wasn't a professional minister. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to grow in obedience. That's what he was trying to do. And this is, what, this is the uh, assignment the Lord gave him. And I just was so thankful for his obedience. Yeah. As a, as a solution to this idea of like viewing God as a, a, a means to the end, I, I think the solution is really, uh, Kelly, one of the things you wrote on our document, meditating on his character. The more you spend time with God, the more you think about God, God moves from a means to an end, to the end itself. To the end in himself. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really, really good. And so like the way the way that my journey kind of reflected this is like my view of heaven and eternity. Uh, you know, growing up, what made me most excited about it was that, you know, I got to see um, my loved ones or I got to live forever or you know, even like mansions and things like that. But as I, I've gotten older, one of the things that I'm the thing that excites me the most is that I get to live in relationship with God without sin um, I'm excited about God himself. Uh, the, the way that I think I would describe all this is that the giver has to be greater than the gifts. Mm. And that, so that solution of meditation, I think, is really good. Go ahead, I was going to say, another, another helpful way of looking at it for myself is the idea of um, behaviors in general. I think anytime we do a spiritual act, it's only by God's grace that we're able to do that, given on the basis of what um, Alex was talking about earlier on um, how we're all so sinful in general. And every time without God's grace, we will turn to sinful acts. And I think it's helpful to look at anytime we do a spiritual activity, it is God's grace in us doing those things. And therefore I would say when we, um, when we're bargaining with God, we're almost bargaining, like saying God's doing that act through me. And now I'm gonna ask him for more blessing. Anytime he gives us blessing in general, it's just more grace. and by doing those actions of spiritual things, it's also God's grace. So I think it's hard to bargain God's grace on, on top of his grace. I think that's excellent perspective. <clears throat> we need to recognize God's not actually withholding blessings. Uh, we Paul writes that every good gift comes from him. God is eager and he's act- actively looking for ways to pour blessings out on our lives. And so anything that we've not yet received that we've been praying for, it's, it's because he knows best um, and we can, and I've gotten to where I just dialogue with God, God, why haven't I received that yet? What else are you doing? What else are you up to? Because he's good. He's good all the time. And so if we're, if we're not receiving something that we desperately want, there must be something else going on. Either my desires are awry mm-hmm. and he knows that, and he, he's waiting for my desires to more be fully formed into the image of Christ, or there's, there's even something grander and greater available. So he's good. He's always working in our best interests. 
Yeah. Hey, um, real quick before we get out of here. Yeah. I wanted to circle back on something that you you brought up at the conference. Yeah. And the, the guy had a word for you from yeah. the Lord, and it was specific. And that reminded me of a conversation we were having this morning. So something happened yesterday at, at service uh, here at 501. And um, <clears throat> it was really illuminating. Um, so if you remember about a month ago, uh, we... The, band, the worship band kept playing and people kept singing, but I stepped off the platform feeling like I was hearing from God that somebody needed uh, healing prayer. And uh, what I felt I heard specifically was somebody needs healing prayer. It needs to happen like now. Mm-hmm. You need to step off the platform and pray for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and so like that was like, sort of the most pressing thing. And then there was another layer, sort of like onion kind of idea here. Then the next layer down was, I was getting an image of like blonde hair. Mm. It's like, okay. And after that, uh, I felt like, I felt like I knew who it was because we'd been praying for this particular person for a couple months and she fit that description. Uh, so we, we, so I leave the platform and I, I called out to Kelly too. And I said, hey, Kelly's going to be down on the other side and we're just going to pray. And this, uh, I'm sensing from the Lord that somebody needs healing prayer. So several people came up. And uh, the woman that I was thinking about, she came up, we prayed for. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. But other people came up too. And so, you know, I don't want to disclose a bunch of things on the podcast, but um, uh, the, there was some answering in in the prayer for the woman I was thinking about, but it wasn't quite the answer we were looking for, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so then yesterday, uh, a, a woman came up after service and said, hey, um, like a month ago, you called people forward for healing prayer. And she was like, yeah, I've never come forward for prayer. And I felt like in that moment, I should come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, she she had been struggling with an issue, um, a medical issue. And, um, she, she let me know that she was healed hmm. and it was a, it's a hundred percent conclusive that she was healed. That's awesome. That's fun. And, um, and I was saying to you, Matt, that's super encouraging because <clears throat> when we step out in faith and we think, I think I've heard from the Lord on this or that, uh, it really helps us if and when we can receive confirmation from yes. somebody because we're, we're all, everybody's trying to hear the voice of the Lord. How's he yeah. directing? What's his wisdom for me today? We're navigating particular situations and we believe something's appropriate. We step out in faith. We, we want that confirmation. So what a blessing. Yeah. It was a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just a lesson uh, personally in, in hearing from God and trying to decipher what's from him and what am I adding? So I think, in retrospect now, what I was adding was the specific person I was thinking about. I think maybe that was for me. And, you know, the worst case scenario is, uh, you know... If someone receives prayer. Someone receives prayer. So it's not like it's a loss or anything like that. But it's just a good lesson for, you know, determining what's from God, what's from me. Um, And and we should should note here that when, when you made the offer, the offer was not for healing. The offer was for healing prayer. Yes. In other words, we're, at Glowing Bible Church, we're not get, guaranteeing anybody is going to get healed. That's in God's hands. God does heal still. Uh, but the death rate among Christians is 
And so we, we also realize that we're waiting upon the Lord. And as long as we wait upon the Lord, we're still going to be subject to death and sickness that, that brings us to death. Yeah. So it wasn't a promise or an offer for healing, but rather, I believe someone is to obediently come forward for healing prayer. Yeah, there's a lot of obedience going on in that right. process. <laughs> right, because right. the church is, in James chapter 5, given the ministry of healing prayer. It's something we're supposed to be about. Yeah. And in Acts chapter 2, as Pentecost arrives, we're told that your sons and daughters will prophesy, your, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And, and the notion there is simply that God's revealing things to people. And so when you say you had a vision of a blonde person or yeah. uh, it, it, that can sound wacky. It, it, yes. Uh, but God, but there are visions and dreams throughout the scriptural narrative and God is still giving those types of impressions uh, to people and yeah. not daily. It's, it's, it may not be normative, but God is still at work in those ways. Yeah. And if you're wondering, yes. The person who came forward yesterday did have blonde hair. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, like, right. I, I don't put a ton, like, I'm not, like, thinking about that all day long. But, um, yeah, like I, I said, just a, a lesson in how to learn from, how to hear from God and how to grow in that. And I think that's a, a really great message to hear in light of Isaiah 58. One of the things that we talked about yesterday at the Poplar campus, uh, I told a story about a couple that I went to church with right after I finished preaching a message about uh, feeding the hungry. We all went out to eat as a church and they drove by a homeless man and invited him in. Uh, their eyes and ears were open to what God was trying to say and they obeyed. And Isaiah 58 is pretty clear on how we are to obey. We are to look for the least of these. We're to look for those who are oppressed. We're to look for those who are in need and take that step of faith like you did. Yeah. And then uh, it may be uh, as clear as it was uh, for you, sometimes not as much, um, but regardless, we're all called to obey yeah. and have our eyes and ears open. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 6304746164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also just general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that the scripture is a primary means of our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity to all those who want to know Him better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. prophecy.